Jesus is the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the root of Jesse and the rock of ages. He's the ancient of days, the commander of God's army and the radiance of God's glory. He is the Holy One, the heir of all things, the bread of life and the author of life. He is the perfecter of faith, the overseer of souls, the horn of salvation, the desire of nations, and the son of righteousness. He's the consolation of Israel, the lion of Judah, and the man of sorrows. He is the gift of God, the lamb of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God, the image of God, and the angel of God. He is the son of God, the son of man, the son of David, the son of Joseph, and the son of Mary. He's the King of the Jews, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lord of the Sabbath, and the Lord of glory. He's the morning star, the last Adam, the living stone. He is the true witness. He is the atoning sacrifice. He is the good shepherd, the great high priest, the chief cornerstone, and the righteous servant. He is the highest, the almighty, the firstborn, the advocate, the head, the resurrection, the temple, and the sanctuary. He is the branch, the vine, the way, the truth, the life, the gate, the rock, the light, the prophet, the apostle, and the Nazarene. He is the carpenter, the comforter, and the fountain. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the Amen. He is the faithful and true. He's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He is the Messiah, the Word, the Rabbi, the Teacher, the Master, the Redeemer, the Deliverer, Mediator, Creator, and Judge. He is Emmanuel. He is Yahweh, Lord, God, Savior, Christ. He is Jesus. Yes, he is. He is Jesus. Well, we're going to begin a series this morning. It's a really long one. It'll last for three weeks. In, uh, I don't mean I'm going to pe- preach from now for three weeks, but over the next three Sundays. From Second Peter, some time ago, we did First Peter, and then we took a different path for a while. And I wanted to come back to that because Second Peter gives us another picture of the apostle that I think that we really need to see today. We need to understand today. Remember when we talked from First Peter that Peter had a unique calling to strengthen the community of believers. We talked about strengthening the brothers and sisters in the faith. And we talked about how important our connect groups are, and they are vitally important. And I'm loving the stories that I'm hearing coming out of our connect groups. One uh, individual said, in two weeks of connect groups, I feel better connected with Berean than I have in the months that I've attended here before. And that's what we want. We want you to be connected. We want you to know people and interact together. It's called strengthening the brothers and the sisters. And so in the first letter, that's what Peter intends to do, is to strengthen the family of God and appeals to the elders of the church. But in his second letter, he makes a different appeal now, not just as strengthening the family of God, but he calls us to be partakers of the divine nature. I want you to think about that just for a minute, the power of that phrase by itself. You're not called to just be a student. You're not called to just be an attender. In fact, you're not even called to just be a follower. 
You're called to be a partaker of the divine nature, the miracle and power of that. It's written about three years after his first epistle, and he knows it's been revealed to him by God that he is shortly going to die. So this is really his farewell letter to the believers, his farewell speech. In portions of 2 Peter, Peter writes in a very passionate kind of style. But that passion comes from firm conviction that God loves this world and wants to rescue it through Jesus Christ. And if you believe that God loves this world and wants to rescue it through Jesus Christ, you will be passionate too. Thank you to all three of you that are passionate this morning. <laughs> Peter makes a bold claim in chapter 1, verse 10. He says, if you do these things that I'm going to describe to you, he says, if you do these things, you will never fall. You will never fail. Now, how many of you have stumbled in your Christian walk at some time since confessing Christ? Hold up your hands. Come on, help me this morning. He says that you don't ever have to do that. Now, is that coming from someone who never fell? Not at all. You remember him. He's there at the crucifixion and had boasted that he would never deny the Lord. But before the rooster crowed twice, he denied him three times to a little damsel girl by the fire. He took an oath and said, I don't know him. And you remember before that, when Peter walked on water, what happened? He saw the waves and he sunk in the water and Jesus had to pull him up. He's not one that is saying, I've never fallen, but he is saying as a fellow traveler, having experienced the challenges of life and what it means to fall, I've discovered there's a way to live that you don't have to fall. You don't have to do the wrong thing. The devil can't make you do it. Well, that was a reference that went way over most of your heads. What does it mean to be a partaker of the divine nature? And I just want that, I want to pause here for that to capture our thoughts this morning. I just think too often we come to church to just be refreshed. We want to do a little better. We want to be encouraged. Do you realize how big this calling is? That you're a partaker of God's divine nature. That that divine nature becomes part of who you are. And in that, you can walk in victory and strength and joy and power and rescue the world. Because this world needs to see men and women, boys and girls, that are partakers of the divine nature. And for that to happen, you and I need to experience the power of God. We need to experience the power of God. Now, I'm going to give that a little different turn in a moment, but I really think it's important for us to grasp that. So open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, your digital device to 2 Peter chapter 1, and let's watch what he says in this short chapter. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. He's talking to people. And I know this, I'm, I'm really struggling here for a moment because I know what's in here, but I don't have the words to get it out here. So I need you to listen not to what I say, but to what the Spirit of God is going to speak to you this morning. Are you hearing me right now? 
partakers of the divine nature. What is he saying to us here? He's saying that he's talking to those who have received this power of faith. The issue here is for those who have believed, those who have received faith from God. Becoming a Christian isn't just praying a prayer after you hear four spiritual laws. It's not about joining the church. It's not about doing better. And I think sometimes we forget what an incredible miracle it is for us to come to faith in Christ. We simplified a bit by talking about the ABCs of the gospel. And if you don't know Jesus, it's not hard. You don't have to be supernatural. You have to receive the supernatural. You don't have to jump through hoops. He already has. He died on the cross for you. And what does it mean to become one who has received faith? You have to admit that you're fallen. You have to admit that you're broken. You have to admit that you're a sinner. People get all bent out of shape by that because we don't want to ever admit we've done anything wrong. But there's some things that are still sin. There's still some things that will destroy you. There are things that will ruin your life. And you have to admit that. I'm fallen. I'm a sinner. I'm not okay. And then B, you need to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead for your justification. You have to believe that. And once you admit your need and believe that, then you confess him as Lord. As Paul said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's that simple. But what happens, there isn't a formula. It's a supernatural miracle where the power and life of God is deposited on the inside of you and you didn't choose to become a Christ follower. You received a supernatural touch from God and faith was birthed on the inside of you. And if you don't have that, you're not a child of God. I don't care what else you believe. You have to encounter his divine power that put faith on the inside of you and changed you. How many are hearing me this morning? It's more than an intellectual assent. And Peter is writing to those who have received that faith. It's a supernatural impact from God. You aren't part of the church until you believe. We talk a lot, and I understand the model, the paradigm that you've heard me talk about. People want to belong before they believe. And we want people to belong so that they will believe, so that they will become all that God has for them. We used to say you have to believe before you belong, but we want people to feel this is their home. But we don't want to lull people into a mistaken notion that belonging and being part of the family in the sense of community just attending here makes you a child of God. It doesn't. It doesn't make you a child of God. You have to have a supernatural encounter with Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose from the dead that makes you new on the inside. You're not a child of God by coming. You're a child of God by believing in all that he has done for us and all that he's doing in that eschatological plan of God for us. You've got to believe. Like precious faith, and that is experienced in community. So I'm going to mess with you a little bit. This is pastor time. Since you, some of you are looking at me funny anyway, I'd just like for you to look at me funnier. This, like precious faith, is not experienced in solitude. It's experienced in community. Now, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, that is absolutely true. Unique between you and Jesus. 
But that real experience will put you in a community of people who share like precious faith. And that's what's been so tragic about COVID. So many of us have become isolated and separated. And those joining us online, I'm so glad that you're joining us online. But we have to find a way to stay connected and experience faith in community. That's not a social construct or a cultural standard. That's a, that's a biblical mandate that we share it together in community. We've got to find a way to do that. And I'm just going to say to you, I'm just going to say this. But when you experience in a community, it means that you belong and you help carry the load. Dare I do this? Thank you. I just need a little encouragement. Yeah, I'm going to say it. If, you've, if you can attend here for a lengthy period of time and not contribute financially, you're not part of community. Come on. I'm just telling you. You say, you're after our money again. No, I'm after you going to heaven. I'm after you being in community. And where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And you can't tell me you're part of community if you come week after week after week and you're not contributing to the development of the church and the outreach of ministries and helping fund that. And do not tell me that you always give cash. There isn't enough cash given here. Because if that's true, some of you are giving a quarter a week. How many are hearing me right now? How many want me to move on right now? I'm talking about community. That we own the load. We carry it together. We're tithers. Come on, someone help me. I'm going to be here all morning if you don't help me. We're tithers. We give the missions. We help communicate the gospel. We keep the lights on. We make this a place where lives can be touched. We're engaged in that whole process, not just by attending, but by praying, by not gossiping, by standing up for one another, by giving to the work of the kingdom. That's what a faith community is about, not just people who sit in a service together. We're doing life together in a bigger picture. Okay, So that's who he's writing to. He's saying to them, you've got to understand that this faith is shared in a community context. We're all investing in this. And to those people, verse 2, there is grace and peace in abundance. Now, can I just, I'm going to prod you this morning because I want us to get off of our comfort chair or off of our pity chair or off of our sorrow, sorry chair and decide that we're going to take a supernatural step forward over the next three weeks and become partakers of his divine nature. And how do you know if you're a partaker of his divine nature? Because number one, you have grace and abundance. What is grace and abundance? Not only have you received grace, <laughs> but people who have received grace become givers of grace, which tells me that if you have grace and abundance, you're not critical. You're not a gossip. You're not complaining. You're not running people down. You're looking around at people and extending the same grace to them that God has given to you. What is that? Unmerited favor. You give favor to people that don't deserve it. You give favor to people that aren't like you. You have grace in abundance. And I can tell you who's been in the presence of God because they're easy to be around. Because they encourage people and they love people and they 
they bless people because they have experienced the divine nature and have experienced his grace in abundance. I'm trying. And peace. What a time that we live in. What a world that we live in. (laughs) Even unbelievers right now don't expect this world to continue. Listen to the depression, the discouragement, the despair. Our current administration is going to put us in an apocalypse of the economy. Maybe. But you know what? I'm going to a city. (laughs) And those streets are made of gold. Those gates are made of pearl. He's never. David said, I am young and now I'm old. I would say I was young and now I'm not so young. And I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. His eye is on the sparrow. He counts the hairs of your head. He will take care of you. And when I look, like, I look at an economy on the verge of collapse, when I look at a world on the verge of increasing pandemics and fear all around us, if you are a partaker, you have peace. Hallelujah. I just, Barry, I just want you and I to go around and just start laying hands on people right now. Just, it's like, don't come near me, brother. I'm enjoying my turmoil. I like being frustrated. If you took away the things that people gripe about, what would we have left to talk about? You know what I'm saying? What would we have to talk about? But when you are a partaker of faith, now I am not saying this to you as a, one who has accomplished everything there is in that regard. I struggle with that. I worry about things and I'm trying not to. I try to get better. When our son Caleb was just a little guy, he worried all the time about everything. And I remember one day I said to him, Caleb, you have to stop worrying so much. He said, why? What's going to happen? <laughs> well, that didn't help, did it? But I'm telling you that there is a place of peace. I'm the person, just to give you an idea, how many of you, when you leave on vacation or to drive somewhere, you're going to be gone for a while, now that won't work because nobody irons clothes anymore. (laughs) You wonder if you left the iron on, the water running, the stove on, how many of you are the ones that go through that checklist? Let me see your hands. Do you know if it weren't for my wife, I would go back to my house four times before we got on the road? I think it's, isn't that right? I mean, I'd go back. She just drives her crazy. I'd say, oh, I, I ironed my slacks. I don't know if I turned the iron off. We are not going back. I'll pull off the road to make sure if I'm going to speak somewhere that I have my stuff in the briefcase. And she'll say, it's in there. It always is. But there was one time. There was one time. We were going to district council. And we had a system. The system was, she would bring the clothes to the front room, I would take them and put them in the car. And uh, there was a step ahead of that, I had to pack my clothes. (laughs) And I'd forgotten to do that, and so I loaded the car, and we're on our way to district council, and we have everything she needs and nothing that I need. 
I'm going with just the clothes I'm wearing. So it happened once. It could happen again. And I'm telling you, that's not the peace of God. Living in that place isn't healthy. Worrying all the time. You see, this isn't even being a partaker. This is being a beginner. That those who have received faith are sharing it in community and walk in grace and peace. And how many of you would agree with me this morning that the only way for that to happen is for you to experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. You have to experience the power of God. You have to experience that through his divine power. Now, um, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us to glory and goodness. His divine power has given us everything we need. That's a big statement. I think the church has to get back to the place that we decide, do we believe this is true or it isn't true? Norm Winnig, for years, before he would ever preach, would have everyone hold up their Bible and say, this is the word of God and I believe it's true. How many believe it's true? Amen. Then when you're in a struggle, here's what you have to believe. God's power has already given you everything you need to overcome the challenge you're facing. You have to believe that because the word of God says it's true. We deny his power. We ignore his power. We reject his power. But we're in a place where um, experiencing the power of God becomes primary through his divine power to live a godly life. So once you experience the power of God, then that becomes a bridge to the second point. You need to believe the promises of God. Look at verse 4, and I want to I get you here for a little bit. Verse 4. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world through evil desires. Through these, he's given us very great and precious promises. Now, let me ask you, when I ask most Pentecostal charismatics about the promises of God, what are the promises of God and what do they do for you? They'll say, we're promised divine healing. We're promised blessing. We're promised to be the head and not the tail. We're promised prosperity. And we talk about all the things that God will do, but that's not what Peter says these promises aren't given for you to reap benefit they're given so that you can be a partaker of the divine nature that the promises are to move you in now how is that because when God uses you in divine healing do you know what's happened you've laid hold of the character and nature of God that divine nature has flown through you into someone else and touched them and what would happen listen to me what what would happen if the church emphasized the verses on being partakers of the divine nature than to focus on power promises that produce miracles? What might happen? Here's what I think would happen. If we focused more on the partaker promises, we'd, we'd experience more of the power promises. But if you don't experience the partaker promises, you're going you're gonna to flail around in the water 
trying to find the power promises. I, we get ourselves trapped. Are you still, is everybody still with me here? I have a friend who just believes, and I'd like to get this place. How many of you would like to get the place where everyone you prayed for was healed every time? I would. I mean, if I could get that, I'd quit preaching. I'd empty hospitals. I'd raise the dead in the funeral homes. I'd charge a fee because I have to eat. How many are hearing me right now? And so I was at a meeting, and, this, and I'd hurt my, my arm. It really hurt. I don't remember what I did. And he said, God's using me in gifts of healing, and I'm just so glad for that. And he said, could I pray for you? And I said, absolutely, you can pray for me. And so he prayed for me, and he said, now, is it better? No. Might even be a little worse. Let's pray again, see if it gets worse or better. Not mocking him, but why are we so fascinated with focusing on the power when we ought to be fascinated by focusing on the presence seeking his face rather than his hand so that you hear his voice rather than your own imaginings and the great and precious promises are given to us for what purpose that we might be partakers of the divine nature how having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust so I began to think about what are some of those divine nature promises. I can tell you by his stripes we're healed. I can tell you all of those. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Given it shall be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together and running over shall men give to your bosom. I can recite those without any problem. Well, what are the exceeding great and precious promises that allow us to be partakers of the divine nature? And God began to drop some thoughts in my heart. I would challenge you this week to just go on a journey through your Bible and write down power promises and partaker promises and you might be surprised at what you see. The first one that came to mind was this. If any man be in Christ he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. What is that? It's a partaker promise that if you're in Christ something had to change. Hello? Something had to change. Something fell off. Something new came into your life and if that didn't happen, then you're not in Christ because the promise is any man who is in, if, if you're, will be a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. What about this one? Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. <laughs> I would say it this way. Drive in the spirit and you'll not experience road rage. Shout amen now, somebody. I can talk King James English and we all say amen. I can talk real English and people say, oh, not me. Walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. What happens when you're dealing with rage, when you're dealing with lust, when you're dealing with other kinds of problems? You're not walking in the spirit because there's a promise that I can be a partaker of the divine nature. How is that? By walking in the spirit. How do I learn that? During worship, I worship with all of my heart. During preaching, I gain this, engage the spirit with all of my heart. I pray during the week. I read the word during the week. I want to experience him. I want to experience his divine nature and when I walk in the spirit, I'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. We're also told, finally, brothers, 
think on these things. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. What's the promise there? If you think on these things, here's what will happen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What is that? That's a partaker promise. That if you learn to train your mind where to go and where to stay, all of a sudden you'll find yourself walking in peace. And it will keep you. And that's not a new concept. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah wrote about it this way. He said, and you, God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. What is that? It's a partaker promise, not a power promise that if you keep your mind stayed on Jesus, you'll be in perfect peace. What happens when you're not in perfect peace? Your mind isn't stayed on Jesus. I can tell you, I'm talking from my experience where the devil attacks. It is not uncommon for something to happen in the middle of the night to wake me up on a Saturday night and for me to feel like the message that God's given me is completely gone and a waste of time and feel completely empty. That happens on a regular basis. My wife began to talk to me about that. You don't have to go there. You don't have to be there. Began to pray that that will go. Now when I wake up in the night, I don't think about what a failure I am. I think about what a provider he is. Is anybody hearing me right now? What a provider he is. And I can go back to sleep and the devil doesn't have any place at my house. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because you trust in him. That's a partaker promise for you to grab hold of and walk in. Um, how about this one? Oh, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know the struggle I'm facing. Oh, do you know the Bible says there's no temptation has taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will with the temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Doesn't mean people say, well, that means that God won't give you more than you handle. Oh, no. It means often you'll have more than you can handle. But it's not uncommon for people to experience that. And the answer is when it's more than you can handle, he will provide for you a way of escape. Why? Because he's faithful and that becomes being a partaker of the divine nature. In your time of trouble, I don't worry about where this is going to end up because I know that he will provide a way for me to get through it or he'll lift me out of it, but he won't leave me alone. He is a faithful God, a faithful God. How many of you would like to walk in that kind of peace, joy? Yes. Partaker of the divine nature. <laughs> then you got to work at it. You got to work at it. I, I read the story of a guy that was in a car accident. And I don't know if you've ever been in an accident. I pray you never are. I don't ever want to be. But those airbags can save your life and break your arms. You know, I mean, I'll take broken arms over being dead. And this guy was in a car, head-on collision. His arms were crossed, broke both of his arms. He went to the doctor. And the doctor looked him over. They did surgery. They had to pin it. They put casts on. He's got double slings. And he said, doctor, I'm really concerned. He said, doctor, when these casts come off, will I be able to play the piano? 
And the doctor said, yeah, you should have a full recovery. You should be able to play the piano. He said, that's wonderful. I couldn't pr- play it before. Oh, oh no, let's retell the story. If you want to play the piano, you have to do the work. If you want to be a partaker of the divine nature, you have to do the work. Because there's always a connection between what you do and what he does. We're to put off the old man with its evil desires. And when you decide to put off the old man, he will empower you to put on the new man. He will empower your decisions. So let's look at what he says we need to do. And we're just going to, we're going to walk through this for a little bit. Through these are given very great and precious promises so that through them you may be uh, participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. So for this very reason... <laughs> Make every effort. Now, what does that mean to you? If I say make every effort, does that mean you're going to try? Oh, I'm telling you, making every effort can be a challenge. When our son was in, oh, fifth grade, maybe he was in elementary school, they had a day where they all got to perform something or the other. And he and I would do magic together. So he was going to do his magic, but he wanted me to be there to be his assistant, which meant fix the trick if I blow it. And I had a softball game that day. Is anybody seeing the conflict? And if everything went well, I would be there with no problem. And my wife said, you better be there on time. No problemo. Ride my motorcycle? Absolutely no problem. Do you know, I came up on a on an accident and had to go another way. I hit a red light, got behind a school bus, came up and there was a train and I am making every effort. I mean, I am panicking. I'm not worried about my son. I'm worried my wife's gonna kill me. I've gotta get there on time. I'm all, I almost rode my motorcycle down the sidewalk to get around that. But I thought that'll make me even later because she'll have come get me out of jail. I'm like, you know, making every effort wasn't, well, I'll try. Did I get there in time? Close. And it all worked out. But in that moment, I want you to feel what I felt. When time's running out and I need to get there, I'm going to do everything I can figure out to do. I'm going to make every effort. How many are hearing me now? It's not just a casual drive around town. I'm calculating. Where can I turn? Where can I go? How do I drive all of the speed limit and not get in trouble? What else can I do to get there in a more timely fashion? I parked the bike and I'm running across because I parked it in the wrong place and I'm running across the field to get there and assist him in his 
presentation. That's make every effort. Most of us have the mindset, or I shouldn't say most of us, many believers that I've encountered over my years of ministry are more casual in their approach. If God wants to do something in my life, let him. I mean, I'm just as soon, I'm just as comfortable sitting here as actually engaging. And he's saying, if you want to be a partaker of the divine nature, it has to capture your imagination. It has to capture your passion. It has to capture your purpose. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to make every effort to do what? Number one, to add to your faith. (laughs) I think I'm okay. You'll never be a partaker of the divine nature if it's just okay. You have to make every effort to add to your faith. You need to see it grow. You need to see it develop. You need to see it become stronger. It's, it's your job to add to that, to not just sit there comfortably where you are, to add to your faith, to see it grow. Paul, the apostle, said, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth to those things that are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm telling you, if Paul is pressing toward the mark at the end of his journey, you and I need to start pressing toward the mark. Come on. We need to make every effort to add to our faith. Well, I think I'm all right. You're not okay just sitting there. You're not okay just stopping. There's nowhere to coast or sit still. It's your job To add to your faith. What do I need to add to my faith? Virtue. (laughs) That must mean that you can have faith and lack virtue. Virtue is moral excellence. Virtue is doing the right thing when no one's watching. Virtue is rising above what's acceptable in the world. And every believer, every believer that's adding virtue to their faith will have a story like this. I was at work. I was at the store. I was at a neighbor's house or friend's house. And they asked me to do something that was acceptable in their, in their um, evaluation of virtues. But as a believer... I couldn't do that because I'm called to a higher standard. Are you hearing me? That's called called adding virtue to your faith. That God is looking for you to do the hard work to add moral excellence to what you believe. It's not enough to just simply talk about what I believe. I need to add virtue to that. And then what do you add to virtue? You add the virtue knowledge. Um, add to your faith. It says goodness here. I like the King James word virtue better. I think it captures it better. And to goodness, knowledge. That's a general word for knowledge. It's amazing to me. The level of biblical illiteracy that goes on in America with such great waves of evangelism. People are praying prayers or on the radio, on media, on the internet, on, on television. Some are responding. They're praying prayers and thousands and thousands. Why are we so illiter- biblically illiterate? Because we're not doing the work to add knowledge to our virtue. I have to know what the word of God says. 
It's a general word for growing and learning. And so why are we doing connect groups? Because that's a great place to grow in your knowledge in community. Connect groups are about people of faith who are interacting with each other and are experiencing the presence and teaching and power of God and growing in our knowledge. What new have you learned in the last year? You don't know it all. You don't know everything. It's not all held by you. Add to your virtue knowledge. And then what do you add to knowledge? Temperance or self-control. <laughs> have you ever noticed... Have you ever known? It's been 10.33 for a half hour. I'm just so you know that. Have you ever noticed how arrogant sometimes smart people are? I got into a debate, and I won't say who it is because he apologized for the comment. And, and, and with all the grace I have, I'm never going to let him forget it. It's all in good Christian fun. We were debating scripture. And in this debate over scripture, he said, well, I believe that this is how that should be applied. And then I said, I don't care what you believe. I care what scripture says. We're not going to start with your opinion. We're going to start with what the scripture says. Now, let's start with the scripture. And he said, do you know I have a PhD? And I said, yes. And I know that that means piled higher and deeper. He said, I've never said that. He said, I've never said that to anybody before in my life. You drew that out of me. And I said, it's a gift. It's just a gift that I have to draw that out of people. And so now I just call him Mr. PhD. Just because I want to bless him. The point being, when you're the smartest person in the room, it's hard for you to learn anything. Hello? I've learned that a child can teach me things. I've learned that people that are new to the kingdom can teach me things. It doesn't matter how many years I've preached, how much scripture I've memorized, how many times I've read the Bible, how many sermons I've created. There's something more to be learned. And every week when I come to this, I try to come to it like it's brand new. God, speak to me fresh and new out of your holy word. There's so much more to know, so much more to learn, so much more to grasp. And people of faith are adding to their virtue um, knowledge and to their knowledge, self-control. They're not walking in arrogance. They're not walking in pride. They realize there needs to be a subduing. And then to that, you had patience, which means steadfastness, constancy, and endurance. So then you add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control. To self-control, then you're going to be patient. And to that, what are you going to add? Oh, this gets really good. This is a great place for connect groups to be plugged in. Have anybody noticed I've talked about connect groups this morning? Has anybody caught that? It's because I believe in them. You have to add to that brotherly kindness. <laughs> oh, I'm having a great time this morning. You look like you're in pain, but I'm having a great time. You know, right, that it's easy for you to be nice to people they're nice to you. It's easy to be people, nice to people who share your values, right? Share your interests and all that. And uh, how many of you have someone in your life that's a believer and when they come around, it's like fingernails on the chalkboard. 
Don't point, just nod your head. I have someone in mind. You know where you need to grow? Trim your nails. Get away from the chalkboard. Because people who want to experience the nature of God are going to learn how to love people that aren't so lovely. It's the nature of the kingdom. And to brotherly kindness, what do you add? Agape love. Agape love is best defined as a commitment to the well-being of another. That self-sacrificial love is what you're part of. So he's saying to us that we need to add to our faith. It's our job to add. And you say, well, I can't do that. Wrong! You've been given exceeding great and precious promises that by these, you can add these things to your faith. And you can grow in the divine nature. Because if you do these things, you will never fall. So what do you need to do? You need to experience the power of God. You need to believe the promises of God. And you can't do either one of those if you don't know the word of God. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 talks about them being eyewitnesses. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of the body. For I know I will put it aside. And then verse 16, we didn't follow cleverly devised stories. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Who is this? What is for me? What is the greatest testimony to the veracity of scripture and I've had that been asked what would it take for you to walk away from your faith and I'm going to tell you what I believe is the greatest testimony for me it's not creation uh, though that is a wonderful wonderful thing it's not how you interpret other events or his working in my life it's this mystery for me if this book weren't true they pulled off one of the greatest conspiracies of history because no believer who saw the resurrection, not one of the disciples, none who gathered in the upper room ever said, we hid the body. We lied about the story. None of it was true. There wasn't a single one. Watergate couldn't do that. Our current government can't do that. Nobody's been able to pull off a conspiracy where there wasn't a defector. And Peter says, we're not telling you something we made up. We're not telling you something that we devised. We we are telling you what we saw. We were eyewitnesses of his glory. We were eyewitnesses of his death and his resurrection and his ascension to the Father. We saw it with our own eyes. Not one of them defected from the faith. And we can anchor our faith to their testimony. We were eyewitnesses of the story. We are telling you what we saw. This message is a light in a dark place. You would do well to take heed. We also have the prophetic message as something completely re reliable, and you would do well. Above all, verse 20, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. Now, I'm just going to, can I just chat with you for a moment? Please be smart enough, believers, I'm just calling you to use your brain a little bit but if someone is preaching a story that no one else is preaching it's heresy because no scripture is of private interpretation 
I'll give you this, uh, an example. Um, do you know that it's almost time for Advent? I mean, it's just Christmas is just down the road. Some of you just went into a depression. <laughs> in fact, for the husbands in the house, I've got a word of encouragement for you. There's liable to be a shortage this coming Christmas. From everything that I read, there could be a shortage. So I would encourage you to shop a little earlier this year, like before December 24th. <laughs> I'm just saying, I want to help you here. And so I was thinking, what are we going to do? And I have to think ahead and ask God to reveal to me. And I had this idea. I'm not going to tell you what it is because I haven't rolled it out even to the staff yet. But I had this idea. And I went home and told my wife about it. I said, I got this great idea. I think it's a great idea for Advent. And it's a unique way of telling the gospel story. And I haven't found anybody that's written on this or done it this way. Not that the story's different, but it's just a unique way. I think I found something new. I found a book written on the exact same subject about 10 years ago. If you find something brand new, now I'm talking now, not about a shape or a form or a celebration, but brand new in its teaching of the scripture, run from it. Because no scripture is given by private interpretation. We call those cults. Come on. Anchor to the book. Get anchored to the book. Human beings were carried along by the Spirit of God. Divine inspiration is more than human instrumentality. The Bible is a book that has power. It carries the power of God. And so the thing that I want you to grab a hold of is that you need to know what's in this book if you're going to be a partaker of the divine nature. And that's what he's calling us to. How can we be partakers of the divine nature? You have everything that you need. And I'm going to go back now to the title that I use for this message. I want to go back to that. And how do you do that? You do that by embracing your calling. He tells us that we need to give ourselves to make our calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never fall. I wanted to save that to the end. You have been called by God. For what purpose? To be a partaker of the divine nature, to rescue this world through Jesus Christ. And how are you going to make that calling sure? How are you going to embrace your calling? You need to experience the power of God. You need to believe the promises of God. And you need to know the word of God. Pastor Nathan, would you come? Who is it that told us this? The one that sunk into the waves of the sea. The one that denied the Lord in Jesus' greatest trial. And the one who rejected his calling and went back fishing. Said, you need to make your calling sure. So experiencing the divine nature particularly as we're coming into this season, this time, all the chaos that's in this world. My prayer is that we'll get hungry to experience more of him. We won't be satisfied where we sit, but that we have a calling. Too often people say, well, I don't know what I'm called to do. I don't know if I'm called to be a preacher, an evangelist, a bus driver. I'm not even concerned about your vocational calling. I'm concerned this morning about your spiritual calling. The first calling you need to take care of is you're called to be a partaker of the divine nature. Are you hungry for that? Do you want more of that?
Peter is getting ready to leave. And I've often said at a funeral, wherever someone goes when they die, I can tell you the first thing they'd say if they could come back, make your calling and election sure. Because eternity is real. Amen, that's right. Make it sure. Get hungry. Do you want more? Do you worship with passion? Do you read the word with passion? Do you seek him with passion? I want you to stand with me. And I want us to just passionately now seek him. Passion does not be loud. It can be quiet. It can be loud, but it's always intense. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer, not repeating after me, just in your own way. God, make me hungry to be a partaker. Make me hungry to be a partaker. Your presence is here. Spirit is near, and I need you. Your love and grace abound. Was lost, but now I'm found, and I need you. From the highest of clouds to the lowest of lows, your glory will be known. And I worship you, my King. You're the one who makes my heart to see.
Lord Jesus, Lord, I just ask that you would work a miracle this morning. That this would be more than a sermon preached, but we would hear your voice in a divine call to make our calling sure by being partakers of your divine nature. Help us see the partaker promises that we can be more like you. I ask in Jesus' name. And everyone who loves him said, amen, amen, amen. If you love Jesus, let me hear your hands. You can be seated just for a moment. A couple of things I just want to mention to you on your way out. And that's our glow in the dark outreach is coming up quickly. Uh, we still have room for some more homes. If you haven't signed up yet, please join online. Let us know. We have $100 we're giving to every home that does Beggar's Night Outreach. And so we'd love to have more of you engaged in that. And uh, I also, we want to reconnect with our first-time guests. So if you've been coming for a period of time and have never really officially connected with us, you can do that by going to Hub. Dot com, and on that page, there's a place for you to click a card and give us information. And if you've not done that before, please do that. And if you select a charity from the list, we'll give $5 to that charity in your name. We want to identify with you and we want to let you know that we believe in investing in the community. And third, I want to say a big thank you to all of you that are giving financially. We've had some uh, really challenging year at one level, some number of un, um, unexpected um, items that have come up. We had to spend thousands of dollars on a roof unit, on lights, all of that. But it's your giving that helps us bless people. And I got a thank you card uh, from a couple that I just wanted to share with you in closing and encourage you to continue your giving. You're helping us bless people as you give. Dear Pastor Carol, staff, and Berean, thank you for allowing us to share our hearts. This was with um, uh, the Hannans. Daryl and Seanette Hannon were here not that long ago, shared on a Sunday morning a window. Thank you for your generous gift. We have a dream to be like the locals in our city and buy a motorcycle for riding around so they can get to places. In that area, they need a motorcycle. Um, we believe that your gift just made that dream come true. Your giving is not only helping us reach central Iowa, you're helping us reach around the world. And when we get to heaven, there's gonna be reward measured out that you're completely unaware of because you tithed and gave to missions and the kingdom of God was advanced. Amen. Give yourselves a hand this morning. So again, thank you. God bless you. We love you. So honored to be part of this church. And I believe God has great things ahead for us. Amen? Amen. God bless you. Greet someone. Encourage someone on your way out today.